ultimately it's you know again you're a critic at the end like you know you're still like creating you're still commenting on the art that other people are creating a lot of people remember the art sometimes you can elevate that form of criticism into genuine art mm -hmm. but like it's a tricky thing it doesn't always work you're listening to it's all dead a podcast about the music we love and why we love it i'm kyle hawk all right, welcome to It's All Dead, a uh, podcast about music and other things, but mostly music. I'm Cal Hawk, editor-in-chief at itsalldead.com, and thank you for tuning in, first of all. And second of all, it's been really awesome lately because I've been kind of, with this podcast, working through what I call my bucket list of guests. Um, and if you've been listening lately, uh, you know we've had some really cool guests on, and I've just decided, you know what, everybody that I've ever wanted to talk to on this podcast, I'm just going to ask them. And everybody keeps saying yes, um, which is really cool, um, both for me and for everybody that's listening, because it means you get to actually listen to somebody that knows what they're talking about, usually, which is a good thing. Um, but today, we've got a really cool show, because um, before I started It's All Dead, I spent a long time writing about music. Back when I was in high school, I started writing for... Uh, various different music websites, little uh, magazines, anything I could uh, get my words into about music, I would do. Um, and around 2011, I got the opportunity to write at popmatters.com, which is a really uh, respected website when it comes to pop culture in general. Um, a lot of incredible writers have come from that site. Um, and for whatever reason, they said, sure, you can write for us. And uh, it's a website that writes really intelligently about music, which I always loved. And of course, they brought on me who wrote about Warp Tour and pop punk. And uh, it was ridiculous. But um, I built uh, a really cool audience there that allowed me to kind of launch my own side. It's all dead, which you obviously know about because you're listening to this podcast. But one of the coolest people um, that I came across while I was at Pop Matters was a guy named Evan Soddy, who is an extremely respected uh, music journalist. I've loved everything this guy's ever written. He's got his own podcast now, The Chartographers, which if you're not listening to, you absolutely should be. Um, and I reached out to him recently and I said, Evan, you want to be on the podcast? He said, yes. And he's here now. Evan, I want to thank you so much for joining us on It's All Dead. So cool to I'm have you. So excited to talk about the Kansas City Royals, man. <laughs> it's been It's been a dream. It's extraordinary. I mean, heck of a season, right? I mean, so much to go over. Absolutely. And and we'll get into all that. Um, oh, okay, cool. I yeah, just want to make sure. Cool. <laughs> no, the other thing that everybody should know, not only is Evan much smarter than me, he's also much funnier than me. So um, just prepare yourselves for that. Um, but <laughs> So right. Evan, you've been doing this a long time. You are a an extremely seasoned music journalist, but I, I want to know a little bit of the backstory. Like how did you get into writing about music? Like how did your interest in music even come about? Like just, just give us the story of, of what happened that brought you here. Well, I think it all ties back to the fact that train wrote a song called drops of Jupiter and it changed my life. <laughs> of course. And the reason, I mean, as, I mean, as all stories do, this is why train is the most revered band of all time, but uh, they did it. They did a song by song cover of Led Zeppelin two guys. It's a thing, but more importantly, like way, 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 way back in the day, um, I was just this young kid and like, I didn't know I have a much of an idea or basis of music like whatsoever. Like, you know, my dad was like kind of into stuff like there's some Steely Dan there or some like, you know, Mark Cohn, uh, you know, some stuff that came up here and there. Silver Thunderbird. But uh, like for me, I never really had like a distinct taste or anything in particular. It was one day I was in the I was in the car. It was like I was like 14, whatever, something like that. Still didn't have like a real musical identity, I'd say, for myself. And there's this one moment when I was like my stepmom, she like went into the office max or whatever to get something. And I was just going through the radio. And at one time I turned on the radio and uh, uh, Drops of Jupiter by Train came on. A song I really really don't like. I guess he's back <laughs> in the atmosphere. I'm like, OK, that's good. And I changed the station. And it, it was another station that was playing Drops of Jupiter by Train. I'm like, wow. whoa, that's not cool. I changed to a third station that was playing Drops of Jupiter by fucking Train. <laughs> and it was at, and literally it was at that moment, I'm like, if I am going to find music in my life, I'm going to have to find it for myself. And that just yeah. kind of set me on a journey. And I realized 14, not having like, you know, like, you know, I had an older brother, but we never like exchanged records or anything there. So I basically had to kind of forge my own path and start looking things up, going through like 
best of lists of like greatest albums of all time, throwing on a Bob Dylan album. I'm like, okay, blah, blah, blah. This is one of the greatest albums of all time. First song comes on, everybody must get stoned. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know what that is. But then gradually you get more and more nerdy into it. You begin like searching out weird, obscure stuff. That leads to eventually like sometimes there's this cool thing that was on this, you know, semi-new site called Amazon. You write <laughs> yeah. reviews for it. Some people aren't talking about it. Sometimes they do product descriptions based off of what your review is because no one else has reviewed this obscure <laughs> or whatever the fuck release. And then you do enough of that. And eventually when you're in college, someone for a student paper says, hey, uh, you should maybe write our music column. And then that just kind of launches like everything off from there. So it was a long journey to get there. Yeah. So I know when I started writing at Pop Matters, you were already kind of like an OG there. Um, and you're the interviews editor now. How long have you been at Pop Matters and how did you get on with that website? I want, well, I, I just passed 10 years, uh, I think nice. last year, I think, uh, which is weird to think about. Uh, it's because it's not like Pop Matters with like, you know, nascent, like it's been around since uh, 1999. It started right. as popcultures.com, Sarah's Upco, all that stuff. Uh, but it's like, I think I came on around like right around 2006, 2007, it was around that time. And that's also like, I just began like, reviewing stuff like left and right i just began i think maybe even earlier than that i don't even remember at this point but like i just began like kind of just writing stuff here and there and it wasn't until like there was this one list that went out of like if there's any interview ops on there and one of them was for one of my heroes uh graham coxon a blur uh and i'm just like sure well and i go ahead and do that i think that'd be fun and so i'm like i'm taping things like this is, like old school like cell phones are there but they don't have apps on them so i'm like taping a phone like literally a computer microphone to my phone so i can get the audio and transcribe it later like that kind of thing yeah. like old school budget scotch tape baby uh and it, the thing is that like you know and eventually there's like this one little feature that i do like it kind of gets that bug in you and i'm like i want to do everything and then eventually it led to me i think my, I, if i'm not mistaken and this is true i believe the second interview i ever did was for avril lavigne and uh, yeah. that yeah and she told me of course let me just drop one of the one of the gems that she dropped on me during an interview once where she's like <laughs> you want to know the secret songwriting you want to know the secret i'm like sure avril and she says don't think about anything <laughs> and she elaborated on that but i also at the same time wanted to say and it shows avril and it shows but i didn't i was very nice but uh and i think literally after that the third interview i ever did was lou reed uh who was another hero of mine wow. he was a goddamn asshole he was like short two word responses clippy as hell had to go through like a month and a half of like vetting by like a label and shit uh but eventually yeah i got a knack for it eventually that led to like this interviews editor position and then all of a sudden like I'm editing other people and I like advising and things like that. And then all of a sudden, like I'm seeing other people go off and do great interviews, like the flaming lips and things. And every once in a while, something will come along where it's like, okay, sure. Yeah. I'll speak to Trent Reznor. Yeah. I, that sounds like a good right. time. Let's make that happen. So yeah, it's, it's an ongoing thing. I mean, it literally it's, I mean, I will give myself vague ego and to say I have, you know, some writing talent, but it's more of the fact that uh, you just got to grind hard. The only way you become good at music reviews is by doing more music reviews. Yeah. Like, you know, we all have the same hours in the day. It depends on how you use them, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a fantastic way of putting it. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about Pop Matters in terms of like, like you mentioned, started around 1999. Here we are, 2017. Mm -hmm. I mean, the internet is full of places to get opinions about music, right? So like, mm -hmm. what is it that's made Pop Matters stick around for so long? And, and I mean, for people that have written for that site, I mean, I, I know for myself, it's a thing that you get to say for like the rest of your time, like, hey, I wrote at Pop Matters, like, and that that matters to people. Like, what is it that has made that site so important, so influential? And I guess given it this longevity that allows it to still have such relevance now? Well, I would personally say uh, that the biggest thing about it has been and always will be the fact that it is a purely independent voice, like quite literally, it has never succumbed to corporate, like, you know, sponsorship has ever been bought out or owned or anything. The people who founded the site, uh, you know, Sarah Zupko and then, of course, Karen Zarker, who's, you know, the managing editor, mm -hmm. they they started it back then and they are still to this day running it like it has never changed hands there's never been anything in there they do like you know ad partnerships and things like that but they keep that voice fiercely independent they are always like they will encourage writers to you know you know say speak your mind but also keep in mind you're working for an international audience too because a lot of a lot of writers and it, it you know comes up every once in a while there'll be that young dumb u.s writer that will always just be like well america's the world right and not really have <laughs> that you know global perspective in there and it's important yeah. to always instill that and teach that 
the fact that you are, you know, you're, and you're not necessarily trying to introduce these people to these, you know, accessorily. You have to speak from a place of wisdom. What is unique about what you can say about it? Not just what can you say about the music? Because everyone's saying something about the music always. What's that one thing that makes what you write distinctive? What's that perspective that you can bring into it that's unique? Like apply that, apply history. Like it's, and that's one of the reasons, like it, it, because you are automatically in the mindset that you have to write to that higher level, the writers generally will kind of step up to that because quite frankly, and this has happened in my time many a time, if you're not writing at that level, your piece does not get published. End of story, like right. done. Right. So something that has always been fascinating to me, I've written so many goddamn music reviews in my life like and there are those times where i feel like i'm almost going through the motions when i do it like even still and i kind of have to like break step away come back into it and try to write it from a perspective that feels original every time i read one of your album reviews every time i read a piece that you've written i feel as though i'm reading something like completely brand new like you are always able to kind of come to the table with such an original take such an original angle in these things like what is your approach when you come to an album like because you you review a lot of bad albums too and it's hard yeah. to make like sometimes like sometimes an album's so bad that a review is easy to write but not mm -hmm. always like you're able to make those kind of bad or mediocre reviews like really fascinating and interesting like how do you, how do you come to the table when you're writing an album review well, I think it's especially after you've been writing for as long as I have, and I'm sure you've run into the same thing too, but like for me personally, as time has gone on, it's taken me longer to write reviews because for whatever reason, I'm not sure if it's me getting in my head or what, the fact that it's just like when initially you're like, I'm going to be, especially when you're in like college, high school, whatever, you're like, you know, I'm a snarky bad boy, whatever, you want to put out your opinion. There's the difference between that and also like realizing that you have an audience, that you've curated an audience and that you have to like respect that audience. That doesn't necessarily mean that you change your perspective or anything, but it's just if you're holding yourself to a standard of writing, it's taking you that much longer to get there because you do have to find that one thing that someone else is saying. Like, good, you know, the only reason you're going to be good at your industry is because you know other people, what they're doing in the industry. Like, you know, not necessarily saying you have to be competitive. I don't like thinking in those terms, but, you know, sometimes the best way to be a good music writer is to read other music criticism, to right. find that other person that has that perspective, that writing style that you just want to like grab and emulate you know i think ultimately at the end of the day and i truly do mean this and this is especially applicable to me but you know like i think in general no one remembers the rock critics they always remember the musicians now you got to keep in mind you know there are exceptions to the rule obviously uh but at the same time you know lester bangs that's a one and done kind of thing like mm -hmm. there are lots of people that are respected in the industry because they speak from places of prominence but i had to go on a radio show once to debate uh joel levy like he's someone i saw in like uh he was a rolling stone managing editor he ran the music magazine blender uh yeah. he actually like had to you know and he i saw him on talking head shows on vh1 i was on a podcast with him for wnyc back Back in 2009 we were talking about the new at the time u2 album no line on the horizon <laughs> they called me up because i wrote one of the negative reviews but that yeah. was you know i was you know we can get to the whole fact that you know print publications were praising that album and online publications were you know a little bit more lukewarm on it generational divide etc but like he was talking about they're like no i think get on your boots is a great song when i saw him at the grammys it was great i'm like dude not everyone's at the grammys that is <laughs> that does not mean it's a good song at the end of the day like as much as you look at the respected peers sometimes legitimately they're full of shit and so like you have to kind of like the only way you're going to be able to improve yourself is if you're in it because like reading other people doesn't matter like even the smallest little publications even someone's little like medium or you know wordpress or whatever can sometimes have amazing amazing writing on it you will find terrible criticism out there it always exists it always will exist but if you make the extra effort in there to read those other different people with insights you will be inspired you will want to step up your game because trust me it's one of those things that's always intimidating but you always have something today and i'm sure you've run into that too like okay. i think a little bit ago there was uh it was for a piece that uh, bryce and i were doing was a column uh and i link back to uh the piece that you wrote about uh chester bennington mm. uh after his suicide too and i yeah. love that piece too because it came from a very very raw place and i felt and i could feel like in your writing you're like you know you're like trying to articulate like exactly what you're saying but you're still putting it out there and like i registered with that emotion so very heavily i wanted other people to see it like that with that's it, it was incredible writing, you know? Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Uh, uh, you know, that's kind of something that we've tried to embrace at our side. It's one of those things where you kind of have to 
know the line a little bit because um, you mm-hmm. don't want to do it all the time, but you kind of want to also be able to share a little bit of yourself and, and, and why the music matters in addition to also kind of being the, the bystander that's kind of reflecting on, on what you're, uh, what you're taking in. So it's, it's a really interesting role to fill. And like I mentioned, you've been doing this, you've been, you know, you're a respected voice. Um, you're a guy that, you know, if you're listening and you go to a Wikipedia page about your you know favorite album, there's a good chance that there's going to be a Pop Matters review link on the side that goes to a, a review that Evan wrote. And, and Evan, I, I'm wondering how you feel. I, I don't know. We've all had that moment when we get our first taste of like, oh, somebody gave a shit about what I wrote or somebody cares about my opinion about this thing. And for you is that something that ever crosses your mind or have you been able to kind of keep that part of your mind separate and kind of continue to approach music criticism without thinking about like how the audience is going to react or how the audience is going to, to think about what you said. To be a thousand percent honest, I really, really don't think about it. And it's like genuinely to this day, like every once in a while, like sometimes like it will come up in like, you know, some sort of search or something. And like, even my boyfriend, when I think it was, we were researching in the Beyonce episode of the podcast and like, I'm quoted like verbatim in the review for Lemonade on Wikipedia. Yeah. I don't have a Wikipedia account. I'm like, I don't know how that <laughs> stuff gets in there. But again, it's one of the things where it's not the critic again they're not gonna remember the critics they're gonna remember the things that you wrote the things that you said so you always kind of want to like you know be part of that i just kind of like for the longest time like i think maybe i was just like yeah you know like you think you're the shit or whatever but it's ultimately it's you know again you're a critic at the end like you know you're still like creating you're still commenting on the art that other people are creating a lot of people remember the art sometimes you can elevate that form of criticism into genuine art Mm -hmm. but like it's a tricky thing it doesn't always work a lot of times like because my time is so especially divided these days like i don't do as nearly as many reviews as i used to when i was like 72 albums i like the name of this band send it to me you know that kind of thing (laughs) But like legitimately, I think the biggest thing for me was realizing that, you know, sometimes when you do those things, I do step out, I review like the Pinks and the Katy Perry's and, you know, some of the bigger like albums that come out in the world yeah. because uh, like, you know, I mean, I just generally like pop music, but more importantly though, like these are the people that are making a difference. Like, don't get me wrong. It is very fun to write a review of a terrible Katy Perry album, mm-hmm. but doing so also precludes the idea that guess what? Sometimes she could turn in a really good album. I don't think right. she has, but there could be that song <laughs> there. You have like, there's, there are some songs on her latest one i gave it one of the lowest scores i've given anything in a while i gave it a two out of ten because it is a goddamn terrible dog shit album it is lost <laughs> in its own sense of purpose but there's a song on there called pendulum which is this upbeat choir driven thing and it's like damn like this is i wired there were songs like this kind of thing there like the idea that like i think a lot of people divide criticism into sides i think it's also and that's the tough thing about pop editors too and i think that's the tough thing about criticism is that you always have to be for or against. If you look at, I mean, not, I, this is, I promise, the only like tangential, like experiential thing I will say, but like, you know, the, the politics, you know, we have all the controversies, everything out there. When you really take a look at everything that's coming in, when people realize that you don't have to get news from the newspaper, you can have your own news feed that kind of like will always be confirmation bias for whatever you believe, you always think of the terms of binaries. That's the biggest thing. And with like every issue that comes up, with every political stance there, you're either for this thing or you're against this thing. There's very rarely any gray. And it's the same with mm-hmm. Album reviews and i think it's probably even got increased since then there's albums they're either really great or disappointing it's terrible or that's what their highlights of their career like it's there's right. little room for like middling albums there's also for that matter there's little room for like middling opinions of like calling it like this is a pretty good album like mm-hmm. i gave a very positive review to lemonade i still gave it a seven out of ten don't let anyone fool yourself into thinking that it's a flawless album it's still very bold and very good and a brave artistic statement but don't call it an end and masterpiece when like oh it's great aside from that one song never say that it, it, yeah. like legitimately like you always have to take that part of it so you have to realize that especially when you're not working in a binder because don't get me wrong i get angry tweets about stuff all the time that is a thing 
that happens. Right. It's okay. It's become rather expected at this point. But even like when my pink review that ran just recently, her yeah. album, I gave it a four out of 10. I was not a fan of it. And like the people that commented back were like respectful. Like, I disagree with you. I think you missed this part of the context, like stuff that, you know, like was out there only for super fans. Sure. And like the people are tweeting that stuff at me. And I love that because they're responding to me like respectfully. Like, you know, they're mm -hmm. saying like, I think you missed these things. Here's this and this. I love that because they're responding to what you wrote, a review that is respectful and what they felt you know, compelled enough to tweet to me. Obviously they felt something about it because you're respectful to the work as well. Like you can go and be a snarky bad boy as much as you want, but you're just gonna get like hate reads. And that's not the same as like actual criticism or even having an actual audience, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a fantastic way of kind of laying that all out of of what this uh, what this journey is like. And we're going to come back to Katy Perry. Uh, so oh, good. So hold is on. She, to is that. she guested studio? Is she behind the curtain? <laughs> she's here. She's having a few drinks oh, in the God. back. She's going to come out later. No, uh, she's going to lay it all out. All right, cool. I'm ready. Hot Matters, a site where you can find a two star Katy Perry review and a nine star yellow card review uh, oh, written by Ocean me. Avenue is a goddamn masterpiece. We all. <laughs> know that i i agree um yeah. so i wanted to ask you because this you mentioned the avril lavigne review uh and that was a while back on we had a, an exchange on twitter where you were sharing me the the link to that which was fantastic by the way mm -hmm. I, what are some of the pieces that you're most proud of like when you reflect back on on your times at pop matters are there certain articles whether it be reviews interviews features you've done that kind of stick out in your mind of like yeah that's something i'm really proud to have my name on uh, literally, and this is one of the weirdest things for someone that, well, cause here's my biggest thing in life. Like I, again, I was 14 when I started like quote unquote discovering real music. And I then began kind of discovering that, oh shit, there are so many things I don't know about because as much as everyone wants to try and be like the critic and have the genre or whatever, like mm -hmm. you are always missing something. There are some people who've never heard of cocktail twins and I've, you know, barely like just started getting into them. There are like, I didn't, I knew of the talking heads, but never got into them for the longest time. So you really force yourself sometimes, especially if you're reviewing like a much more high profile thing, you really force yourself to actually like, you know, like discover and get into the background of things. Cause the last thing you want to do is like, oh, by the way, you've been assigned the new Taylor Swift review, like her last album was blah. Like if that's the basis <laughs> of your knowledge, that's one thing. So when I had to review way, 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 way back in the day, when I had to review the quote unquote new Guns N' Roses album, Chinese Democracy, uh, that is one where I dove so far into like researching that, to listening to that album so many times and making every single word in place. I did mm. everything I could. I gave, it was a six out of 10. And the thing is that I talked about how whatever you think about this album, I think I said in the opening paragraph, like it will never live up to whatever expectation that you have. So if you divorce yourself from whatever the expectation is and just look at it on just a song for song basis, how does it stand up? And that was like a hard thing to like fully like plow through and articulate, but I was really happy about it. I was also really happy about uh, the one for, I think, what was it? Uh, oh yeah, for Life of Pablo. Oh, uh, yeah. I, reviewed, I, yeah, I reviewed that one and I blatantly called out how the misogyny in it, the, some of the blatant yeah. misogyny, genuinely, same thing with Jesus too, undercuts his message. And like, he tries to have it both ways. And a lot of critics just want to be like blanket masterpiece there, but like, guys, listen, it doesn't matter if you think he's playing a character or anything else like that stuff of like this like morally important level like and you're trying to balance it out with this more sensitive stuff here it's one of those things where like it's in the right way you could technically maybe try and like present that as an artistic statement but it wasn't working in either of these cases it just came off as like yeah. rather dickish and immature and for all the good stuff that he was doing on those albums he just undercut himself at those points like it was it was a hard thing and a lot of people were very upset about you know about those things mm -hmm. but like that was that was a part argument that like listen when Kanye makes another masterpiece I'll call it a masterpiece but you have to come in a little bit more objective here too right so yeah those Man. are ones I yeah go ahead oh we should have just done a uh, podcast on the life of Pablo and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you this uh, live while we're recording so uh, I, one of my favorite album reviews I've ever written was on the life of Pablo and I was critical of it, but ended up giving it a good overall score. I, I wrestled with that a lot for the for a lot of the same reasons you're talking about. And I addressed that in the beginning of the review. So after we published that, the next review I read, like right after that album came out, was your review. And I was like, God damn it, I missed it. <laughs> and, uh, and and you nailed the whole the whole scope of like taking a step back and viewing what was happening at that time with that album in a way uh that was perfect for what you're able to do. It was just another example of like, God damn, like Evan just has 
this this insight, this this ability to kind of capture these moments in this way, um, which is one of the reasons I love your writing so much. So there you go. I guessed about your writing um, and uh, you wrote a really good review of Life of Pablo. Well, we're now back to two critics praising each other. A wonderful <laughs> NPR podcast. Yeah, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I'm so glad everybody's listening to this. So. <laughs> yeah. No, like legitimately, like, and I think there are other people there. I think there are probably people listening to this, like, if I had a blog post, if I had something else like that, I encourage people to genuinely try it because it's, it's easy to just, like, make fun of albums. It's easy to just to often make fun of bad album reviews, of which, again, there are many. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing is that, like, all you have to you put it in context. That's the biggest thing. When people go to review, especially in whatever I like, hyper marketplace whatever it is put it in context because people think they know like the context of like taylor swift but like when you listen back to 1989 if you're reviewing her new album reputation which is coming out it's about her but is this a much and like the thing i keep thinking about and why this album is going to be a disaster truth be told from the singles that i've heard so far who knows it could still be really really good in context but at the time it sounds like it might be a disaster because here she is commenting on all these things it reminds me of art of eminem when he released the marshall matters lp and followed it up with encore what did the marshall matters lp too and this is a point taken by another critic, Stephen Thomas Wine of All Music, and I think it's a brilliant thing, uh, where he talked about how the great thing about Marshall Mathers LP2 was that it created controversies, it made him reviled, it made him beloved, it, cre- you know, it created this media monster that it was, and Encore was the album that was the commentary on all the things that he had done. And ki- you know, kicking shit around is way more interesting than commenting on it, and sure. that's the thing I think Taylor's running into. Not saying that 1989 was kicking shit around, but you know, like it made her more of a superstar than she ever was before now she's commenting on it like as yeah. much as we can have beefs and other things like that there and she has a very good way of kind of articulating this stuff you know for a general audience like not being about specific or not being about name calling necessarily but like it's still commentary though and commentary is just not going to have the same lasting effect as the actual stuff that you're doing to build yourself a superstar so you run into that you know kind of divide so we'll see how it turns out when you know yeah. when this, by the time this podcast comes out i'm sure it's already come out and we've written something about it but like <laughs> You know, at the time, like, you know, this is the kind of thing that we're sitting in. So, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, before we move on from the, the music, music criticism angle, I want to quickly ask you uh, if you'd be willing to share your best and worst interview you've had. Of course, your interview as editor at Pop Matters. I, I can say that both my best and worst interview happened while I was writing at Pop Matters. The worst interview never got published, and I've, I've referenced it multiple times without ever revealing the uh, the actual other party involved, um, which you, I, I'm you really do proud of myself for doing that. Okay. Um, <laughs> But no, it's it's all dead exclusive right now. We're gonna find out. No, we're we're gonna find out from you if uh, if you'd be willing to share if you could remember uh, like a best and worst interview you've had. Uh, I mean. I'll I'll because I don't give a shit. Again, no one remembers critics. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> like the, the worst one. I mean, Lou Reed again was a just a goddamn asshole. Two, three word responses, and like yeah, I've actually yeah, referenced that to other writers. I've referenced that to other writers when they're just like, "This guy didn't speak a lot." Like, look at this review. Look how I made this two page review out of like uh, roughly a hundred words. Like you throw on context. Like it, it was something. It was really cool. I got to do it, but you know, it's still an asshole. You have to run with it. Uh, but and so, but aside from that one, the other one I had was just a very uh, laid back, kind of disinterested Colin Malloy of Decemberist. You know, maybe it was a bad day. Maybe it was just like you get off on the wrong foot. Who knows what sure. it is? But like, it just, no, no, it, was, it wasn't a good vibe on it. So it, it was fine. It was just fine. Uh, the best one I probably did is actually uh, one I keep coming back to time and time again. Uh, goddamn uh, Kevin Drew from Broken Social Scene. Hmm. Uh, because, I mean, he's just a guy who wears his heart on his sleeve. I think a, I mean, literally any interview where you read with him is going to be a good interview because he just talks openly about it. He doesn't hide anything. He's not like promoting like the press marketing thing. He just is all about, you know, connection and love and everything else like that. But I've interviewed him five times. Wow. Uh, which is just insane because like after the second time he's like oh yeah I remember you and then like we keep talking and I once spoke mm-hmm. oh the word it was the worst thing we spoke to him off album cycle it was about the his label Arts and Crafts the thing broken social scene all these other things are signed to it was their 10 year anniversary they're putting out an album for it but there was no doing press it's just like a 10 year anniversary thing they're doing some shows in Toronto yeah. uh, and it's just like and I'm like to the publicist like hey you know it'd be cool if we did a feature about this like well it's not really cycle but let me check with him he's like yeah cool and then I speak to him he's on the phone he's like oh cool great and I'm excited for it it's not cycle 
I've done interviews for a while, I'm ready. And the first question I asked was about a band who just left the label, the Most Serene Republic, you know, the first band that was signed to the label that wasn't okay. part of Broken Social Scene. And he's like, ah, oh, shit, man. And like, he just felt so bad because like he hadn't thought about them in a while and he was like worried about them and had, you know, nothing but good things to say, but it like brought him down. He's like, I wasn't expecting that question, man. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, no, no. He's like, he was always been a great interview. He's way too forthcoming than he needs to be, but he's just you know, he, he's willing to speak and like people that are just willing to open themselves up like that, obviously, clearly right. make great interviews. So, yeah. yeah, no question. Well, thank you for sharing that. So I told you we were going to come back to uh, Katy Perry and mm -hmm. uh, this is not about Katy Perry, but it's, uh, okay. it's, it's going to be part of it. Uh, one of the reasons I wanted to have this conversation and when I, when I reached out to you initially, I kind of pitched this as something we would discuss is talking about pop music in terms of, the political conversation and this is this year specifically has been one for obvious reasons in which pop music has suddenly had a a, a voice in the political conversation um and, and one of the names i brought up to you was katie perry and i brought that up because of that album review that you wrote um and I, what i worried about when i pitched it to you is that it was sounding like a pop musicians shouldn't have political opinions which is absolutely not the case um and i and i find that uh i mean music in general there's been so many avenues to kind of express outrage frustration uh a, a collective i don't know disappointment but and hope that you know we can move forward i think about a tribe called quest dropping their album the day after the election last year and how powerful mm -hmm. that was there's certain there's certain genres of music that obviously speak more in terms of uh, protest um pop music has been one that i don't think is traditionally associated with that as much but yet we've started to have it katie perry is an example when it's done poorly it's what we talk about when it's done well it's something that we don't necessarily hear as much about what is what are your thoughts and terms of what you've heard uh this year in pop music in that vein well i personally if we're talking about the year 2017 which was you know let's just call things what they are the first year donald trump was in office a uh, time when a lot right. of people were questioning the efficiency and power of government and you know discussions of fascism blah 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 uh you know we all know these things but the biggest thing is that like how do you articulate that rage and there have been of course you know you can expect fat records to put out more like, you know, anti, you know, anti-Trump things, there will always be those kinds of albums there. But the thing is that how do you articulate that in an impactful way? I personally believe that you could have any genre can attack any of these issues okay. You know, like this is, I mean, you talk about country music, they could always have a, you know, like Brad Paisley is always someone who has a surprisingly liberal slant to what he says. And there could also be like protest songs, you know, in a more, you know, right-minded Republican-leaning thing. I still think about the 2008 election campaign when uh, John Rich of Big and Rich, he did a song in favor of John McCain called Raisin McCain. <laughs> uh, that, not, not political one way or the other, not a good song. But uh, the biggest thing is like, I mean, any genre could have it. It's just a matter of how we were articulated because let's think about when Bush took office, you know, mm -hmm. when that whole thing happened there in 2000, like there was, you know, it, what, September 11 happened, the Iraq war happened. And the thing is that there was art that was coming out around the time. I, of course, we all remember back uh, Alan Jackson, uh, where were you when the world stopped turning? That was, you know, a kind yeah. of a pivotal moment. There was the, you know, accidental music that was, uh, inevitably wound up helping the nation. Uh, Enya's only time uh, wound up charting after that time because after September 11th happened, no one wanted to play any like aggressive or mean songs on the radio. So then this song that Enya put out a while ago was the soothing anthem there. It wasn't really political. It was just like, it fit the mindset right then and there. It really, but, and although there were songs, although there were Fat Records compilations sure. full of like punk music about the stuff that came out there, uh, it very gradually stuff started to trickle out. And I think probably one of the biggest things, of course, we all remember American idiot it's a it was a song and the thing about american idiot that made it work is that it wasn't fuck bush the album it was right. uh, american idiot it was about not necessarily like fuck this government and everything that they're doing it's more of how are we navigating this in our times it felt like a political statement it felt like a protest album and it kind of was and kind of wasn't and that's like kind of it's like appeal like it's majesty you could get lost in the story you technically could listen to the album removed out of this you know 2004 or 5 whatever context that you have and you could just appreciate the story by itself 
itself. Right. It didn't call those things out. But you got to keep in mind for all of the things that you know the Bush administration was doing there, regardless of how you think about it politically, there was still you know I mean if you're the president, you're going to be in charge of people dying. Like end of story. Like yeah. you know it's a rough job to have. So regardless of your political affiliation, th that's always going to be a job. You're going to be demonized in one way or another by some party. That's just part of the job. But the biggest thing is that that was a watershed moment when. Uh, uh, Green Day was really, really able to articulate a lot of that stuff on that album. And you felt like there was a lot of art that came out of that. I'm genuinely saying right now, that moment hasn't happened yet for the Trump administration. Like, yeah, yeah there were songs about him. There, of course, the Donald off that one uh, shows up there, uh, you know, by Qu Tribe, which was, you know, fucking fantastic. Of course, mm -hmm. I already still remember one of the more biting pieces of criticism that came out uh, with Georgia by Lil Wayne. I think it was off a mixtape, if I'm not mistaken, sampled Ray Charles singing Georgia and Ian's put, you know, mm -hmm. you know, talked about Bush and, you know, like they're not fixing the levees. Like it was some powerful, deep ass, you know, stuff that was going on. Re very recently, we had the Eminem, uh, freestyle rap, the cipher that was done, uh, and I have—I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of that myself. But it, but the thing is, the biggest thing about that is that it came out and there was the conversation. You right. know, some places were running articles like, "Ooh, the most 13 most biting lines from Eminem's Donald Trump diss." <laughs> you know, uh, there—you know—there's you know stuff that comes out there, but all the conversations are trying to happen. I as much as Katy Perry wanted to try, like she was trying to articulate that post-election landscape, but when you do it in the most glossiest, vaguest terms, that's rough. You know, you achieve the one, another piece of criticism that I take that has always stuck with me is uh, Chuck Klosterman in one of his books talks about the powers of, uh, I believe, I believe it's a Trisha Yearwood song. And he talks about, there's a line in there about how you're quote, getting engaged in front of the tasty freeze. And he talks about that line, that one line, is incredible because for Tasty Freeze, those like one person operated like snow cone shops that, you know, kind of, you know, dot, you know, the Midwest and, you know, uh, south of, uh, south of, uh, you know, the United States, mm -hmm. those places, like, that's a very specific thing. You think about a very specific thing when you think about the Tasty Freeze. So when you're talking about getting engaged in front of the Tasty Freeze, that sounds like it's happening in your hometown. Now, right. it's not, you know, because it's a franchise, they're all over the place, but you achieve universality through specificity. And there's a lot of art, and a lot of times with art, you actually create uh, this moment where, like, because you're being specific, because you're laying on these details, even if you're not naming, like, George Bush or anything else by name, you can still achieve universality, like this, you know, a message that it reaches to everyone through specificity. When Carrie Pay Katy Perry is working in vagaries, when she's talking about having rose-colored glasses on, you know, like working in cliche, that mm -hmm. doesn't make a compelling argument. That doesn't draw you in into anything else. Weirdly, though, we are running into something uh, recently because there was the latest Dirty Projectors album. Uh, where, you know, there was the divorce going on, and the dude and the girls, you know, they split up, and he wrote this, like, you know, Marvin Gaye-styled, like, album of, like, insanely intimate, specific details. It was, like, hyper, it was, like, hyper-specific. And weirdly enough, once you get, like, hyper-specific, you lose that universality, because, like, right. you're talking about this stuff in, like, pornographic detail, dude. It's, like, you know, it's, like, grief porn, basically. Uh, and, like, I actually just recently saw a live gig by uh, Mount Erie, uh and like and that was like it was at the chicago art institute randomly one day and i just saw it there and that's one where he's working through his, a crow looked at me that album that came out where he's working through his uh wife's grief phil elfram uh and like that he's working in very specific terms and like very like elongated songs like and, it, and i didn't even know how i felt about it but like some of the detail it was a little bit like pornographic in terms of like talking about you know burying his wife's bones in the yard and then like the rain comes and like some of it's sticking up like the yeah. bone of a ring finger like that like that kind of thing and you're just like i mean it's very potent imagery but should i be hearing this like it, it begs right. a lot of questions so it's finding that balance i genuinely to sum it up i genuinely don't think that so far in the trump administration uh that pop music in general has found that voice to articulate it but it, something tells me it will get there yeah, and that's I guess that's kind of what I was going for. You kind of summed it up really well because we are certainly still in the heat of the moment right now, uh, where there's a possibility for that happening. You mentioned American Idiot. That's a that's an album that was in the moment, but also transcended it in a way that mm -hmm. kind of lives on and is still relevant now. And it's hard because when you've got like a well-meaning artist, and I, you know, I don't want to keep using Katy Perry as the example, but that was a, a recent example of this and, and an album that you reviewed where it misses the mark so badly that it's like, gosh, 
dang, you know, like that's, that's what fascinates me the most, I guess, is like how far an artist in this realm has to take that, how transcendent the music has to be to fail or to, to not fall flat in that moment and to have kind of the music critic community kind of elevate it to that next level where it becomes this other thing. I'm not doing a good job of articulating this, but it's a really fascinating thing to me. Yeah. No. And again, these moments will come and there will be abject failures. Like again, say what you will about the Eminem rappers at the very least of people talking about it because it's people in prominence talking about it. Uh, it's one of those, I mean, like this came up because when we recorded this podcast in 2017, one of the things that just happened was Harvey Weinstein gate, uh, mm-hmm. where all of a sudden like these revelations came out about this, you know, big Oscar gunning movie producer, just being one of the worst human beings on the planet right. and how like it was kind of an open joke in Hollywood, but you know, Hollywood at the very least decided like, no, we're, rejected this get rid of it and started the me too movement and all of a sudden a lot of people a lot of people a lot of industries and a lot of places music everything else actually like you know like going away and the one thing that talked about how part of the potency i I think it was like an npr story something i heard the potency and the reason why the harvey weinstein thing worked is because that was at a moment when he was like losing his power when he hadn't been making the hits that he used to he was a little bit down and out and when people are a little bit down and out they suddenly don't longer feel the need to necessarily like you know like hold back anymore when someone's at the peak of their powers they're basically untouchable even bill cosby's biographer talked about how he knew of the accusations surrounding bill cosby at the time too but like he just kind of like danced around them years later after cosby hadn't done jack anything uh, when these things come out and a single Hannibal Jer- Burris joke starts like igniting this controversy that eventually leads to his ultimate, you know, downfall, you know, trial, you know, determinations by juries aside, like legitimately, like people will get it when it's down. So right now, uh, when we recorded this, Trump still hadn't even reached a year in office right there. If yeah. let's say the 2018 midterms happen, let's say that he loses like the, you know, House and Senate, or whatever. Then all of a sudden, I think you're going to see a lot of other people speaking up in a way they hadn't before, because right now everything's still too heightened and too politicized. But the, again, the moment will come, regardless of whatever administration is currently in there, liberal, Democrat, independent, whatever, whatever people want to articulate that voice of protest there, it will have its moment. It will take root eventually. When people of a higher level, like Eminem doing it, he is a very high level person doing it, that feels like, oh my God, he's stepping out of line. He's doing something, you know, radical <laughs> and different there, you know, kind of to a degree. Yeah. Like that, that's like, you know, kind of, is the domino tipping? I'm, I'm telling you in 2017 terms, it's probably not right now. The conversations yeah. are starting. It, that articulate voice will happen eventually. Yeah, excellent, excellent insight. I've I, and uh, <laughs> I've definitely got some opinions on the Eminem freestyle, um, but mm-hmm. we'll save those for uh, another podcast. It's all dead. Dot com. Go there now for <laughs> on it. Yeah. Um, we're going to make a hard pivot into the chartographers right now because this is a podcast that you are a part of and it's in, I think you've done two seasons now and Mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, but you essentially break down the discography of an artist over one or two podcast episodes. You bring on a guest, kind of talk through the music. It's a really fun uh, conversation to listen into. I want to have you share a little bit about how that got started and, and kind of your process for even creating that podcast picking the artists that you're gonna kind of break down well i think the biggest thing for anyone that's listened to this podcast you chose very widely i've heard other it's all dead podcast episodes they're great but the biggest thing is that how often especially because like you know a podcast has become such an essential listening experience that when you listen to a podcast so you listen to any podcast how many times have you like tried one out and it's just like hi this is john and julian this is our <laughs> podcast yeah. So what did you do? Like, I mean, the thing is, like, anyone can make a podcast, but a good podcast is really hard to find. What's the hook? What's the thing that's unique? Uh, this podcast is born out of me drinking with a friend, uh, as all podcasts do. Let's be real. Uh, and essentially, that one is like my buddy. He was a he was a, my friend Dave Coop. He's a big film guy, and he had this website for a while called Film Enthusiasts, uh, where he talks about movie news and like you know stuff like that. Like he had one voice in a field of many, but like you know he, he is very very passionate about films. And so we recorded this podcast. That's our friend Mitch. One night we got drunk and we're just like we're going to debate like superhero films, like Iron Man versus Dark Knight. What was more influential? Like you know that kind of thing. Yeah. But then afterwards, we had this idea of like because he's a big Marvel guy, he was just like, what if we like ranked the you know Marvel movies together? But like 
like there's three of us so what if you came to like a consensus on it like we all kind of have to agree what's the worst and like work our way up and like outvoting each other and it was fun and we did a couple episodes of it but eventually i'm just like man what if you applied that concept to music mm -hmm. uh and like you know and essentially like i was trying to find a way to do it in, like a whole discography like that's kind of ambitious but we broke it down and uh me and my incredible boyfriend taryn who is uh just as much of a pop music head as uh, i am mm -hmm. he bring in a new guest every time to diversify that set of opinions because very often there will be people that don't disagree with you and, you know right. or don't agree with you and it's great when that happens and you just kind of like you're all working together to like you know you're going to lose favorites along the way you all have points to bring in a good argument can change your mind and you work through the discography because it's weird I feel like, and especially the people who listen to this podcast, the people that go to your website, like they want to talk about music. Like as much right. as it's great to read these things, like how often when you find a coworker that's like into the same band, you are like, holy shit, I don't usually get to talk about that, yeah. you know, with someone, you know, like Jenny. And when you do, like you latch on to that. Like when you find out, like, I mean, I was at a bar recently, actually uh, our friend Dave, we were at his party recently and there was a girl there who's just like, like what kind of music to listen to? And the intern just kind of hovered around, just like, I'd like the weird stuff, like this one, uh, this one Icelandic or Swedish artist name. I am I who am I I'm like you're fucking kidding me I interviewed her twice she's amazing uh but like and so like you find these things so essentially I think the whole reason why the podcast is even the the vague auspices of success is because it's just those discussions you want to have yeah. like you know I, I saw someone uh, someone sent me a link to a reddit post recently where our iron and wine podcast got on there and someone like commented I disagree with everything they're saying <laughs> <laughs> it's like that's not amazing yeah. uh, but like it was great because like the, like that's the point i want people to have those discussions there and we try and have it in a fun and like joyous way so we can narrate those discographies as for what we rank uh one of our guests the wonderful nick Shota, uh he talked to once about like would you guys because he's you know a fabulous wonderful gay man who he was there for uh he was there for our beyonce episode our first one and also yeah. our Janet jackson episode yeah hint hint he will be back in season three when we do whitney houston which mm -hmm. will be really interesting but he's like would you guys ever do a mariah episode and turner like fuck no uh we just hate mariah carey profoundly and deeply <laughs> like i like we only do artists that we like genuinely love and the biggest thing for me again growing up and having a lot of things that I wasn't fully aware of, like genre, entire genres that I missed. Like for me, this is a great way to catch up. The only way I was able to really finish my Phil Collins reviews for Pop Matters is by having our friends uh, Colin, uh, uh, Colin and Ryan Reed of Rolling Stone, uh, like he were on for a Phil uh, Phil Collins episode. Yeah, uh, and like because like Phil Collins is an artist I don't necessarily love myself, but like if I'm in a debate with these people, like I'm forcing myself to learn and like pick up these things. Uh, this last season. Uh, to one of Terrence's favorite bands, I had like only I kind of tried getting into them at one point, never really worked. Uh, Talking Heads, that was mm -hmm. a revelation for me because, like, again, they've always been in my ether, always there. But when I finally got down into the business and really started digging into what they are and what made them who they are, that was fun. That was that was joyous, and I have that building block of knowledge now that I can use for later stuff, you know, later reviews yeah. or whatever. Like, it's great. It's like fun to like expand that knowledge that way. It is fun. Uh, one, I love Phil Collins. Two, mm -hmm. uh, I got on board with the chartographers when you did the uh, Fallout Boy episode. I was like, oh, shit, this is mm -hmm. everything I ever wanted. Mm -hmm. um, and you've done so many good episodes of this. And I, so now you're getting ready for season three. Have you already started kind of working and formulating what artists you're going to talk about? Or like, is there where are you at with season three at this point? Well, like at this point, A, we got shirts. Uh, and to keep in uh, mind, we make jack zero money off this. We just do it for fun. Like, if someone sponsored us, great, but I'm not like too worried about it. But like, it's one of the things, like, we just are artists that we want to do. Like, I can't wait to see, like, because Taryn, like, he's younger than me. Uh, and so there's some stuff that he just doesn't have, like, much like me. Like, this is building blocks he doesn't have of his musical knowledge. So, like, damn right, we're going to dig into the white stripes all the way through. I'm so excited about that. And also, similarly, like, Bjork, oh my god, I am so excited to dig into that. To have a guest that is fluent in speaking about Bjork and all the craziness that goes on there genuinely profoundly excited for that and like but the thing is that as we learned this last season like we talk to guests like we have like people in like really nice you know publications that like much like you found out you ask some people and sometimes all you gotta do is ask them and they're like yeah sure i'm like that's right. awesome that's great uh like we find these people and it is bad because we had you know inside inside baseball we had a guest lined up for broken social scene episode like a long time ago and wasn't able to do it scheduling issues came up so we're like oh my god so we went into their facebook and we found out like who else like 
likes this band. And so we <laughs> found out somebody who liked it. And it, amazed, it turned out to be an incredible guest, but like we found a guest that way. Uh, like, I had no idea my friend was into that. That's really cool. And so we had that discussion. Uh, but yeah, like we were initially maybe going to do like an REM episode this season, but due to recent events, it's like, what if we did Tom Petty? Like, mm-hmm. you know, what if we yeah. move that, you know, together? Because, like, I feel like that's one, or, again, someone whose discography I know of, you know, who hasn't heard Dance of Torpedoes, but, like, I want to dig into it. I want to get into the nitty-gritty. I want to shit on the last DJ, you know? Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff, you know, that goes on uh, with that there. So, yeah, it's just, like, stuff that we want to have. We have an idea. We have a list in mind. It could very well change. We are uh, going to be doing George Michael next season. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to dig into that. Like, yeah. like all sorts of stuff. Like, historic stuff, new stuff, we'll see. We haven't done Bob Dylan yet. That You know, like, that'll... I think come down the line, but yeah, we have a rough season three in place. We have, we secured a the uh, iron and wine is providing one of our theme songs for oh, one wow. of the, which is like, yeah, that, that whole thing is turning out crazy. So yeah, you know, we'll, we'll see. Like it is, I, the only reason that a podcast works is because we still enjoy doing it. Like right. we, we put in research. We don't just do this shit like arbitrarily. Like we, you know, watch documentaries and like look at stuff. And when we yeah. did our Kendrick Lamar episode, Tanner was like, we have to do more than just Kendrick. Like, he wanted to get like to the basis. We like watch documentaries about early hip hop. We got into like everything, like early Jay Z. We got into like early break stuff. We got into you know Keith uh, Curtis Blow. Like, every, it looked like so much stuff. Like, we wanted to have the basis because the last thing we want to do is sound like goddamn idiots. We're still drunk. We still make mistakes <laughs> in the podcast. I don't care about that. It's fun. But like, yeah, we wanted to have that. So yeah, yeah. There's 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 a lot of stuff planned. It'll be good. Which episode are we gonna have you on for? Oh man, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I I'm always I'm I'm always open. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, no, I'm trying. It's gonna be, to... be brand new. Is that what it's gonna be? Oh God, Jesus Christ! Yes, if you do brand new, please <laughs> consider me to be on it because I have a lot of things to say. So, mm-hmm. um, especially yeah. about the new album, Terrence really digging the new album. God damn, I love it so much. I actually, so I gave it a uh, four and a half out of five star review. I went back, usually after I review an album, because you spend so much time in it, I just step away from it for a while. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it'd probably been a couple months. I I went back to it actually just recently, and it it was even better than I felt when I when I wrote the review. So but yeah, I, uh, I, I, you know, I'm not somebody who's like shots from the mo- rooftops about every single thing brand new does and how incredible they are at everything, but they are good. And, uh, and science fiction is certainly one of the, one of the best albums of the year, which is a perfect lead in to this closing question I have for you. Oh God. It's, it's that time of year. It's time to start oh, God. Our lists, time to start, uh, ranking all the albums. Uh, what are, what are some of your favorite albums from 2017 so far? I have a list brought up and as much as I love to go line by line through it, I'll just, I'll just throw the highlights at you. Uh, it probably wouldn't qualify for a lot of like, you know, publications or whatever, but legitimately and profoundly purple rain, the 25th anniversary mm-hmm. deluxe read thing that they did. That thing is fucking incredible. And like, the thing is like, I am one of the biggest, like, I wouldn't say the big, I'm one of the biggest. I did liner notes for his bassist one time. So there's this whole thing mm-hmm. there, but it's weird. Okay. So I mean, here's my only like side story. I'm going to sell. I know I you're, listen, you're pointing at the clock. I know we're low on time. It's a podcast. <laughs> no one cares. But like legitimately, like I did, uh, during the time Prince, he had his bassist at the time. Uh, it was like his good old friend, uh, Andre Simon. Uh, he like, back, he did some solo albums in like the 80s. He left Prince's band to do his own thing. And eventually Prince gave him a song called The Dance Electric, which became a very minor like hit on the charts. I When I started getting into like doing liner notes for different artists, and it was yeah. like a brief time I did it there. I did the liner notes for that album that had like a Prince written song on there. Like that was my connection. And then like a year, a couple years later, I actually saw him in concert with Janelle Monet opening at the United Center in wow. Chicago. Second to last song he did was the Dance Electric, which I'm sure at the time no one in there knew, but I had never felt a more personal connection to Prince at that time. So this edition, the 25th anniversary deluxe edition, it has the Prince version of the Dance Electric on there. It opens the wow. bonus disc, which is astonishing. But then it also has things like the extended version of I Would Die For You, like profoundly one of my favorite songs of all time. And this extended jam that sounds like talking heads almost, like, oh shit, like it's incredible. Uh, the real question, and I'm going to post this to you, are we counting Run the Jewels 3 since it came out December 25th of last year? 
That is a great question. First of all, that was a really fucking cool story you just told. Probably the best story that's been told on this podcast. Run the Jewels, I'm going to allow it. Just because we talked about this at the at the start of this year. We did a uh, podcast called the Hip Hop Title Belt, in which we were mm-hmm. giving the wrestling title belt to the, 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 the mm-hmm. best rap artist of the year. And we talked about, like, can we give it to Run the Jewels? Like, they put out an album, like, two weeks before the year ended. Um, so I, I think it's fair to consider it for 2017. We'll, we'll, we'll allow it for the next five minutes. Right, exactly. Cool. So uh, there was that. Uh, I was in, I really enjoyed uh, Jens Lakeman. I thought he fell off of his last album and he came back exploding with life and color off his latest one. Um, weirdly enough, uh, Ryan Adams, I liked his latest one. I'm not sure if I'd call it uh, album of the year. Uh, the minimalist, dry, beautiful, lush pop of Night Jewel kind of uh, surprised mm-hmm. me. The over-eccentric, exploding with too many ideas all at once album by <laughs> Shogu Tokamaru called uh, Toss was really, really good. Uh, I know Taryn, he is all, for him, I, Terry, we had this debate recently. He thinks his favorite is still Damn uh, by Kendrick Lamar. It's a good one. Uh, I mean, let's be real, exactly. But like, there's other stuff. I have a, also a deep affinity, of course. It, it's so mainstream, but like, legitimately, Kesha, uh, her oh, latest God. one is really yes. good. And Thank like, you. I'm not. Thank you. Thank oh, you for God. saying yeah. that. I'm sorry to cut you off, but goddamn, I, I don't feel like we talked about that album enough this year, like, just in general, mm-hmm. like, all of us. That album was really, really good. So I'm, I'm really oh, happy yeah. to hear you bring that up. Well, Ironically, I love the fact that her Eagles of Death Metal collaborations actually sound like Avril Lavigne songs. Like, legitimately, <laughs> yeah, I know, and I mean right? it in the most complimentary way. I love them; they're great. Yeah. Uh, the uh, people, the one thing people haven't heard, uh, Night Shifters. Uh, they're this group that does this like stylized retro disco sound in a modern context. It's really great. And one album, I'm not necessarily sure I would call it the album of the year or like in my list. I but like Flower Boy by Tyler the Creator. Man, let yeah. me just like I, that is an album where, and I mean this profoundly. I I listened to it recently because like I, I initially like I hated Tyler Curator. I hated his bullshit. I hated mm-hmm. the stuff that he was doing. I hated his anti-homophobic, like all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But like, legitimately, this year that's an album where like profoundly and deeply like it just grew on you the production is immaculate he made like virtually everything himself and i listened to it just this last week in the car and i was as i was driving i'm just like jesus this is a sad album like not like for all the colors it beats like there is profound sadness deep in here like even even more than like frank ocean blonde like he's just remarkably lonely regardless of the songs that he's making almost as a way to try and like cheer himself up like it's crazy so uh yeah like and so that one i'm not even sure if i call it my favorite of the year but like the fact that i've changed my tune on title the creator because of that album that's a that's a big undertaking so even if i don't put it on my personal list i respect the heck out of that yeah a lot of people i think have been wrestling with that same thing um it's it's a it's a good one for sure so how how about you dear friend well uh kendrick lamar's damn is up there for me um Mm -hmm. brand new science fiction is up there for me there mm-hmm. is a uh, sort of an indie synth pop slash punk band called Paris. Uh, where yeah. They, yeah. They put out an album this year that I thought was a huge step forward for them stylistically. Um, I, I really, I love it front to back. I think it's an incredible album. Um, Kesha is in the conversation for me. Um, I'm, I'm not, I, I love that album. Uh, I think it's, mm-hmm. it's a really, you know, if I were to tell you, Evan, that in the year 2017, that Kesha was going to put out a better album than Katy Perry and Taylor Swift, uh, you know, maybe you might have been able, you know, willing to listen to me at the start of the year, but it happened. Uh, and Taylor Swift's album hasn't come out, so shame on me for saying that. But yeah, um, well, but no. more importantly, though, Toblo's album has yet to come out, and she just yeah. put out a song called "Disco Tits," which is extraordinary. <laughs> but like, I'm and like, and she's like such a conflicting artist. Where like, she is capable of like pop greatness. I don't know if she's going to achieve it. This new song is incredible, but like, I'm curious to see how the rest of the album works out. So you know, yeah. we'll, we'll we'll see. We'll see on that end. And uh, of course, we're recording this the day before Julian Baker's new album, "Turn Off the Lights," comes out out and uh it's it's good it's incredible i think julian baker is one of the most important voices uh in music right now and i i've talked about it at great length um on the site and uh to some extent on the podcast but she's she's going to be in the mix at the at the end of the year that's all dead yeah well not the new weezer album you know, I never really got it. I've never been a big Weezer guy. This is a this is a thing for a lot of people. But um, yeah, you know, I, I, you know I'll, I'll give him 
I'll give them their due from time to time. We're, but, we're doing know. that. We're doing that next season. I'm telling you that. But let me just say that I gave their album Ratitude one of the worst albums I've ever heard. Uh, it was one of the only times they've ever given a one out of ten to anything. Yeah, and that was one of the greatest comment wars I've ever seen in my life on that review. That was in awesome. goddamn incredible. Also, last side note: Dan Auerbach put out a hell of an album this year too that I think a lot of people slept on because Dan Auerbach of Black Keys he did solo albums before. Mm. Last one yep. he did was basically acoustic stuff, and this one. He's like, I'm gonna be electric light orchestra, and it's like, oh, okay, certainly. But you know, listen, while we're gabbing about 2017 music, gotta ask you one other question, not necessarily worse, but let's go with most disappointing album you heard this year. Oh wow, uh, cut me off guard with that one. Ooh, yeah, Ooh, I'll give you mine. I'll give you mine. Yeah. It wasn't Spoon because Spoon put out a fuck of an album that is like one of the best things I've ever done, genuinely. Uh, I would personally say, and I mean this like genuinely and profoundly, LCD sound system, man. Mm. Like it's, it, I think there's that nostalgic part of a lot of people that just like wants to buy into it. Like, yeah, no, 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 they're back, they're back. But like the more time I spend with that album, I'm like, it's not your best. It's yeah. really not profoundly. So I, what I'm going to say on this, I think is going to be a little controversial. Um, and when I say most disappointing, it doesn't mean necessarily mean it was the worst album I heard this year, mm -hmm. but in terms of my expectation level, I thought Haim could have done better. Um, mm -hmm. I, I feel like they basically kind of revisited the, the same tropes they explored on their debut, which was excellent, um, but definitely had room to grow. And then they didn't in all the ways that kind of, that I, I hoped and expected that they would. So for me, mm -hmm. in terms of disappointment, that was, that was up there for me. So yeah, yeah no, sorry, hi. I get that. I know they're yeah, listening sorry. in right now and they're exactly. they're bummed out. But, but. You, but you know what? They're their triple J cover of uh, that don't impress me much. Extraordinary. <laughs> I love that. That was great. Fantastic. You still got something, girls. I'm with you. Well, Evan, this was fantastic. I've been wanting to do uh, this conversation for a long time, and I appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Um, always still checking out what you write. Um, if if you want to read Evan's stuff, go to potmatters.com if you don't already. It's a site you should be visiting uh, as often as you can. Such uh, great pop culture analysis of all kinds happening there. And then, of course, subscribe to the Chartographers podcast and get ready for season three. Evan, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Appreciate it. Anytime, absolutely, Taylor Swift. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> that's going to well, do it's even a joke. It's just a name. I just threw it out there. <laughs> of course. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode of the Official It's All Dead podcast. If you like what you hear, subscribe on iTunes, leave us a review, let us know how we're doing. And of course, come check us out at itsalldead.com. Uh, that's going to do it for this time. I'm Kyle Hawk, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the It's All Dead podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Then visit us at itsalldead.com for the latest music news, reviews, and much more.